Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jerry Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. A uh, big thank you to the FAM, Founders Alliance members, who support us on a monthly basis. And we have this exciting uh, deal going on yeah. in the month of June. There's only like eight days left yeah, or like so, that. not, not, not many. many. Um, but for the rest of the month of June, if you sign up to join the fam, uh, you not only get uh, whatever it is that you get at whatever level that you're at, but you also get a free hoodie. By what standard hoodie? Yeah, and I think that might be for just the upper levels. Oh, oh no, it's... Sorry. Yeah, it's sixteen eighty nine. Well, the reason that you messed that up is because neither you nor I have one of these yes, hoodies. Yes, I don't, Hannah. I don't have so a, Hannah likes to give free hoodies I, to everybody. I think we're going to have to join the fam ourselves. And, uh, I'm in the fam. Yeah, my wife's in the fam. But, okay. uh, yeah. Does she have a hoodie? She doesn't have a hoodie. She joined too soon. Well, you can get a hoodie. Um, and if you do, maybe you can send one to me and to Tom <laughs> um, for the rest of the month of June. But only a few days left, so you can sign up this week. You'll get that free hoodie. And thank you again for your support. We also have... Uh, an exciting project coming up called Wield the Sword. We've been filming yeah. already on this and have some uh, video footage to drop soon. But you can check out Wield the Sword at founders.org and see that project. We're really trying to apply the Word of God to all of life, and we have a wonderful um, number of participants that have joined us for that project. We're very much looking forward to it. Yeah, let, let me just underscore how important this project is. I mean, you and I get emails every day. I get multiple emails and contacts every day from pastors usually, but also from folks in churches being faithful to the Lord, seeking how to address some of the things that they see coming into their churches and from the culture that they're very disturbed about. And Will the Sword is designed with those questions in mind. We're trying to answer those questions. It's a it's a massive project. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like trying to do 15 by what standards, you know, on a slightly smaller scale. We were already tired after doing we, that one. Yeah, we, you know, yeah. So uh, th- this is huge, and it's expensive, and we can't do it w- without the financial support of people who agree with what we're doing and are willing to stand with us. So thank you so much for those who have contributed. Uh, if you're able to contribute, would you go to the page and just look at it? And if, if God has positioned you in such a way that you can invest in this effort, we would greatly appreciate it. And then spread it around. Let other people know about it. Uh, we'll be putting more content out that kind of uh, points toward what we're doing and wield the sword over the next couple of months. Speaking of our recent uh, Synodoc project, By What Standard, we do have a book coming out called By What Standard, God's World, God's Rules. And the on the back of the book, it says, you've seen the Synodoc, now read the book. And that came from you. That was your your brilliant tagline. Oh, you didn't have to give me credit for that. Yes, you get credit it, for that. Is my name on the back under that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> This or not, but uh, you've got a couple chapters in there, and I've got a couple chapters in there. And you edited Chad, it. I did, and Chad Vegas has a chapter in there uh, considering the task of missions, uh, given all the dangerous ideologies that are upon us. And we actually have Chad Vegas with us today for this Sword and the Trowel podcast. Chad is pastor of Sovereign Grace Church in Bakersfield, California. He's also a founding chairman of the board of Radius International. Uh, fantastic missions organization that we'd love to hear more about. That's not what we're going to focus about in our talk with Chad today. Uh, but he also told me he's 12 years on the largest high school board in the United States, mm. which is fascinating. So, Chad, we're so glad to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be with you. Yeah, welcome, Chad. Hey, when did you resign from that board there in Bakersfield, California? 
Yeah, I was elected in 2004 and I resigned in 2016. I finished my term in 2016 and did not run for re-election at that time. Okay, so uh, I remember reading some of your comments uh, during that time, and uh, I think you, I, I knew you a little bit, and we talked some, had mutual friends. And so I remember some of the rationale for your resignation re- regarding uh, positions and policies that were adopted by the board against your strong counsel and your your voting in the opposite direction can you just give us a snapshot of uh, what it was that kind of became the straw that broke the camel's back on that deal yeah so um i sort of uh, you know <clears throat> entered the board amid controversy and left amid controversy well there but, you go you uh, left it the same way you found it huh <laughs> exactly but um in it, california and it's happening all over the United States, but in California, we were a little bit, you know, early to the table on these issues as we are with everything. But um, we had passed um, some, a law here saying that uh, dealing with the with the gender gender identity issues, and when we passed that law dealing with gender identity issues, we um, essentially said that the high school classrooms. Um, you know, the high school, I mean, as far as the, the restrooms that are attached to the high school, the, the locker rooms attached to the high school, um, et cetera, would be able to be used by um, someone who is of the opposite sex. As long as they had, you know, claimed a particular gender identity, um, they could use it. Um, we were also, it also included legislation with regard to gender pronouns. So if a student wanted to be called, um, by the opposite gender pronoun from their biological sex, then um, teachers, administrators, et cetera, were required to enforce that. Mm. They were required to enforce that with, um, you know, and to, and to appeal to that, even though um, their parents were not to be notified. Um, so it didn't matter what the parents thought. Mm. Um, you know, that, that was just an extension of what we were already doing with abortion here, which was the requirement that if a if a child left uh, during the school day for an abortion, they would be marked absent. Absent, even if a teacher, a teacher, or a counselor could take them for the abortion, they'd be marked absent. Um, and the parents would see that they had an excused absence, but the parents were not allowed to know what the excused absence was for. Um, wow. mm. So, Chad, were you we, doing we, all of this when you were a pastor? Uh, this is all while I was a pastor. Isn't yeah. that like, a, yeah. aren't you transgressing the wall that separates church and state when you are uh, a pastor? And <laughs> I, was, these... I, was, I was told that more than once. You know, <laughs> what about separating the church and state? And I'm like, I don't think you understand what that term means. So, so I feel like you got in the princess bride, right? I mean, that means what you think it means. Hey, so, well, I, rem- yeah. I remember uh, you made a, a very eloquent statement before that final vote. Uh, on this issue, Do you, can you give us kind of a summary on that? I think you published that statement that uh, that I read. You know, I there were so many statements, Tom. I would have to try to remember, but I I will I will say that um, my big concern, the reason I ended up leaving the board, was once the board voted in opposition to um, the position I was holding at the time, which was um, that you know we shouldn't adopt this into our board policy and enforce it locally that we didn't in fact have to enforce it locally. I, um, I left the board because I couldn't, um, discipline teachers for using the wrong gender pronoun or something. Yeah. Right. 
Um, I just couldn't be a part of disciplining teachers for that. I couldn't be a part of disciplining um, students who were offended that someone of the opposite sex was in their locker room or something like that. I couldn't do that. So I had appealed to the board at the time. I just, I asked the men on the board, I I essentially told them in the meeting, um, kind of my last appeal to them was, um, brothers, I mean, I understand that we're being told we're going to be sued and we may lose everything. And, and that's true. We, we, we may, we may lose everything that we have we may lose our our money we may lose our homes we may we may even um, be subject to some kind of prosecution beyond that but the fact is we'll stand before god and give an account we will stand before god and give an account and and when god judges on that great day um he he is not going to be pleased with with the decision we're making here today so be ready to lay it all down and do the right thing this is what you were voted for this is what the parents put you in office to do yeah, I, that's what I was referring to, man. I mean, talk about separation of church and state. I guess you don't believe in separation of God and state, do you? No, I. Yeah, <laughs> I, the, the whole conversation is is being had that separation of church and state conversation with regard to engaging in any kind of political discourse is being had on ground I just don't accept. Yeah. Right? I just I just think it's nonsense. Um, I don't mean that the pastor's job is to be just be constantly involved in politicking from his pulpit or something but the fact is is that we are commanded to be good citizens of of the city that we live in and we while our citizenship is primarily or ultimately in heaven and we are pilgrims or sojourners we have been afforded the privilege of living in a country in which we we are those who make the law Mm -hmm. Um, ultimately where we we vote for the representatives who make our laws and and that's that's unusual in history. Um, we're, we're America is exceptional in one thing. We believe in pre-political rights, right? We believe that our fundamental rights are given by God, and they exist prior to government. And government um, does not give us those rights. Government exists to secure the blessings of our liberty. And um, and as those who are citizens in this nation, we have a we have a responsibility to. Uh, make sure that we we vote in such a way and are active in such a way that we continue to protect um, those those rights for people. That's just being a good citizen. It's you know it's it's not. I'm not going to stand on the pulpit and tell people which party to vote for or, or become particularly partisan. But it's pretty clear what what it means to love your neighbor. And I can't be voting for bad laws or stand by while law, while laws that my neighbor are being passed and just be quiet about it. So Chad, the setup seems to be that um, civilization, as we know, is falling apart in America. <laughs> That's kind of maybe maybe one way to say it. And, and pastors are here kind of look back, trying to find good examples, but really there is something happening in, um, in society now that is markedly different than what has come before. And so many pastors are having to say, okay, how do I, how do I relate to um, what's going on in the world around me, particularly locally? I think some, may, many pastors just kind of put their head in the sand. They don't want to get into it. They, um, they just focus on their church and say, I'm not going to get in anything that's out there in the world having to do with our society is um, political and I don't want to get into it. Perhaps the, the error on the other side is people that would, especially on the federal level, look federally and just 
do a God and country kind of thing. And so we're going to fly the American flag yeah. here in the worship service, and we're going to be all for um, whatever this um, whatever is going on uh, civilly in the nation. And I'm convinced more and more that we're really going to need to see pastors raised up that know how to do this, maybe call it pastor in the public square, or just preaching the word and applying it to the issues of our day particularly locally and just being involved, knowing what's going on and trying to help your people and shepherd them as they live their lives in your uh, city, your county, your state. So it sounds like you've made some good headway uh, doing that out there in Bakersfield. And could you just talk us through some principles that have guided your thinking, some things you have done along those lines that would be instructive to others who are trying to do the same? Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally, Jared, you have to begin with something that you're, I think you're getting at there, which is that your your doctrine necessitates ethics, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And I mean ethics in the broadest sense. What what you do with life is necessitated by the doctrine you believe. And and, and whether or not you you know it, you're, you're functioning, you're, you know, your ethics are, are some sort of functional doctrine, right? There's something happening you believe that you're acting out. And I think as pastors, it, it is our job to teach our folks doctrine and then to help them understand ethically what that looks like in their daily lives, both teach them who Christ is and how it lives out. Some of how I've done that might be unique from other pastors in that I'm, I've been involved in the public square myself in ways um, that most pastors aren't, like holding elected office. I, I held a nonpartisan elected office, so I, I, you know, I don't think it's I'm the best guy to speak to what, it, what does it mean to hold a, a partisan elected office while being in pastoral ministry. I've never done that. School boards are nonpartisan, right? So I didn't have to run and say, go Republicans or go Democrats. I mean, I was known as a conservative. In fact, I think I was called an ultra conservative. Um, and you can't, you can't run for office as a pastor and not sort of be branded um, a kind of, by the media, you're only understood as either, you're, you're, you're either, um, Jerry Falwell, or you're uninvolved as a pastor. That's kind of how the media sees it, right? You're, you're either the guy who is, who is wrapped, you know, in, in the media's mind, wrapped the, the cross and the flag, um, and somehow confused the two, or you're just completely quiet. That's how they prefer you to be as quiet. So they only have a particular characterization of you they run with. You just have to be ready for the fact that that's going to be the media narrative if you get engaged. So I was engaged. Principally, I think the engagement... Um, as a private individual, I'll start there. As a private individual was just, hey, listen, I have neighbors. I love my neighbors. I have a family. I love my family. What does it mean to be a responsible citizen and a Republican which I elect my representatives? And in which our representatives want to hear from us. What does it mean to be that? And it, it, you know, it means that I actually care what my elected representatives are doing. I actually care about how I vote. And I'm happy to um, contact my elected representatives when they're not doing the things they ought to be doing or the things that we put them in office to do. Hey, you did um, that just recently, didn't you? I mean, uh, with all of the COVID shutdown and all, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, get, yeah. Go, Tell us about that. Yeah, well, so California Public Health Department um, put out guidelines. The governor gave an executive order essentially making those guidelines uh, um, a, a state ordinance, um, and then local county health departments uh, were able to either adopt that ordinance as a county ordinance or not. 
Um, and this is getting to some of the lesser magistrate stuff you asked about earlier. Um, initially, when those guidelines came out and the governor's ordinance came out, my own church said, okay, well, we're not going to meet. The governor's asking for something reasonable. He's saying a couple of weeks so that we don't overrun the hospital. Okay, well, we'll, we'll do something else for a couple of weeks. And we, you know, we'll do something online for a couple of weeks so we don't overrun the hospitals and we don't cause a problem. We're, we're happy to participate in that. We were actually, I think, the first church in my city to to go there. Um, that the Friday, the order was given on Friday, March thirteenth. So it became an uh, executive order on Sunday, March fifteenth. We did not meet. Most of the churches in our town did. We didn't. They were it, technically contravening the law, but I mean, it's neither here nor there in the discussion. The point is, we immediately sat down said, okay, we're going we're gonna to hold off a couple weeks because of reasonable requests. Um, at some point, that, as we all know, expanded beyond let's stop the overrun of hospitals to let's basically take control of the state and um, grant, grant rights where we decide it's worth granting rights um, almost indefinitely. You know, we're, just, <laughs> we're not going to, until there's nobody has COVID-19. And we, we all saw what was happening there, and, and we started getting frustrated that the original bargain had changed. In the midst of that, our own county adopted the state ordinance. When they adopted the state ordinance, um, I then began contacting our county sheriff, who I know, our county district attorney, um, who I did not know, but I, I contacted anyway, um, chief of police, and just said, what are your guys' intentions with regard to enforcement? Their response to me was, well, we don't want to enforce this because we think it's nonsense. We're not going to arrest any pastors for having a worship service. However, it's now a county ordinance. The district attorney's statement to me was, I can't tell you what I'll do in the future, um, but I can tell you that complaints are coming from the county health department. And when the complaints come, I have to decide whether to prosecute them or not. Um, so far, I haven't, but I can't make any guarantees about the future, which was, I think, her way of his, uh, 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 legally saying to me, I'd prefer never to enforce one of these, but I can't tell you that, right? So um, I said, okay. I started count calling my county supervisors and talking to them and asking them what they were going to do. And they were saying, well, it's out of our hands. Well, I kept telling the county health department, executive, the, the, the executive of the county health department is actually appointed by the county supervisors. I, so I kept pointing out to them, he's your employee. You can, you can fire him if he won't release that ordinance. It doesn't need to be a county ordinance. Um, don't force our local folks to enforce it. They don't want to. Um, it's, it, in, in my opinion, at this point, an unlawful order, um, and it's a nuisance for the neighbors, et cetera. So um, I pushed on the county supervisors. They they were not particularly interested in the conversation, except for one, say one county supervisor was. And so I contacted several folks and said, let's put together an organization and make a bunch of noise. So we did. I started an organization um, called the Korean Liberty Coalition with a few other people who are um, – friends of mine, long-term friends, and they, they really did a lot of the work behind the scenes to make it happen. And we, I put out a video basically saying, we're not going to stand for this. And, um, um, several thousand people got on board. Um, and we made it, we, you know, sort of saber rattled. I, I couldn't get the county supervisors to really pay much attention. So at one point I told them, listen, there's, we're going to have a rally on Tuesday in front of the county supervisor's office. This was on a Friday. And then on a Saturday, I talked to them as well rally on Tuesday in front of the county supervisor's office and we would uh, we were asking you to to undo this health ordinance and um, 
They said, we can't. I said, that's fine. If you don't, we'll show up with recall papers and launch recalls on you. They kept telling me, hey, this is mean. You're not, you're not being kind. It, you know, I wasn't being rude to any of them. I was just factual. Yeah. They're like, you're not being kind. Do you understand how hard this is, the pressure we face? You know, this is all really difficult. I said, I understand it's difficult, but I'm not particularly interested in hearing from you about the difficulty it is as an elected representative, of whom I was one, a servant of the people. I'm not interested in hearing about that from you. Um, telling me it's difficult while you're collecting a paycheck. Um, you're telling me how hard it is. Meanwhile, all these private business owners are losing everything they have. And you're not going to bat for them. And so if they're going to lose their jobs and their businesses, I'm going to help you lose your job. And, and if, unless you want to protect their jobs and businesses. And so we're going to work toward that if we need to. So that was on Friday and Saturday. Uh, I was called and told not to be mean. You're a Christian. You shouldn't be mean. I said, I'm not being mean. I'm, 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 I'm telling you, my neighbors are being, their lives are being destroyed. Their livelihoods, livelihoods are being destroyed. And for no good reason, because we have county supervisors who are basically bowing to a, to an unelected bureaucrat, um, who isn't, by the way, in our county anyway, a public health professional. He was in charge of animal control before he became the county public health guy, right? And so why is he making these kinds of decisions? Anyway, we, we got down the road, and I pressed on the issue. By Saturday night at 6.30, they announced that the health ordinance had been revoked. So they told me for days they couldn't do it, but they did it by Saturday night at 6.30. So, so this is fascinating. You got called meanie pants, and uh, were up, the people were upset with you because you wouldn't fold because they called you meanie. And as a result, much good came to the county because you stood firm and called upon them to act responsibly. Man, that's a great illustration of how reasonable, thoughtful people can get engaged locally and make significant difference. And I'm sure there must have been a lot of businesses and a lot of uh, employees that were very grateful for you and the others that took that stand. I mean, did, did you hear feedback pretty quickly on that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were people who contacted me in tears. Mm. Um, thank you. Thank you. We're losing everything. We don't know how we're going to survive. You know, we've built, worked on this business our whole life, and it's going away, and I don't understand. And why I, I put so much money into these campaigns of these supervisors. Why won't they defend us? Mm. Um, you, you know you what? Know, Chad, this, this, I mean, one of the things that's been said time and again, I think, to push pastors and churches back is hey, uh, brethren, this is time to love your neighbor. We got to love your. We got to love our neighbors, and so that means we got to fold. We got to do with what anybody suggests might be helpful, no matter what the cost or consequences that go along with that. You just be quiet. Romans thirteen, love your neighbor, and what you've displayed in this illustration is, yeah, we are called to love our neighbor, but sometimes loving our neighbor means standing up to the winds that are telling us, oh, you got to go this way, you got to go this way by just asking some simple questions and being reasonable and being firm and not being intimidated when people say, you're so mean by doing this. Man, I think that's a great example of that. Thanks for doing that. And it does raise the question of, okay, um, you've been involved in your county, in your city, in a public way for many, many years. So you just didn't wake up yesterday and decide to do this today and have everything go the way it was uh, that it went. You, you've been investing in your local community. So can you uh, just give us some ideas? What are some ways 
that pastors can lead churches and church members can seek to be salt and light in their community in order to display real love for neighbors and to begin to try to cultivate a, uh, a more healthy atmosphere for the gospel and just for uh, human relationships to be beneficial, mutually beneficial. What are, what are some suggestions and ideas that you have, things that maybe you've implemented? Yeah, that's, that's a gigantic question, Tom. I think um, maybe, maybe I should start by saying pastors have to be fundamentally committed at the beginning um, to this notion that um, that the appeals that are coming out there again and again, that if you engage in any way, um, if you're called mean or whatever, um, that th- what the appeal that comes is this. You're not going to win over the world this way. People are not going to get saved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it's essentially kind of a, you better seal up your spine against Pelagianism. This notion that um, people are just essentially, you know, naturally good. And if we're just sweet and kind, they'll all be won over. Um, if we just give them exactly what they want all the time, they're going to be won over. That's just nonsense. I, I, I tire of hearing the word winsome. I don't know what it means, but apparently Jesus and almost all the apostles failed at being winsome because they all ended up dead, right? And so, I, I, according to the current definition, anyway, yeah. uh, I, I think that for me, the, the issue is, is really quite simple. The way you get engaged, uh, first of all, is, is you understand as a pastor, my job is to shepherd these people to preach the word. My job is not to be a politician. Um, to preach the word. But when I teach doctrine, ethics flows from that. And that doesn't mean that I'm in the pulpit every week teaching them how to be politically engaged. In fact, I don't think I've ever done that. Um, I am teaching them, however, here's our doctrine, here's the ethics that flow from that. Um, There are implications of these things. I'm also engaged in the community in such a way they see that engagement. I'm not engaged on a partisan level, like one of these guys who's a hack for a particular uh, party. In fact, I think pastors need to be seen as those who will, who will happily critique either party mm. or any candidate who's standing for things that are unbiblical, period. Um, otherwise, you don't seem particularly credible. You just seem partisan. But as far as engagement, it, it really starts at the local level and at the smallest level. You know, one of the, the errors of our congressional system now, I mean, it's, it's not the founders, I don't think, um, necessarily knew this was coming, but you have two million plus people represented by one congressman. So when you have two million plus people represented by one congressman, you don't feel like you can do a whole lot to influence a congressman unless you have a load of money. Um, but what you can do is you can influence you can influence school board members, mm-hmm. you can influence city councilmen, you can influence county supervisors. Um, however, those are titled in particular areas, and and you do that. At, at the very grassroots level. And that will trickle on to your state assembly or Senate, your congressman, et cetera. But you do it at the grass level, grassroots level. If you want to get involved, I would tell you as pastors, the first thing I would do is, who are the, who are the supervisors of city councilmen that represent our area? I should ask them to lunch, mm-hmm. both because I want to win them to Christ and because I want to have a relationship with them that, that where I can encourage them and they'll actually call me about issues. And they will. A lot of them would like to have relationships with pastors in the community, and they love the input um, and and help in thinking through things. So you, you ask them to lunch, you get to know them. You also, I think, um, let them know that that you know 
while you are happy to be of help to them, you also um, are going to make sure that that you're watching out for the things that are happening in your local community. Um, now, you can do this as a private citizen of the church. You don't have to be a pastor, but you, you just let them know. Now, now, what happens if they start to go in a bad direction? I, I usually encourage you to start by contacting them if you've built any kind of relationship with them, which I would encourage you to. Start by contacting them and, and encourage them not to. Um, most of the time, they're reasonable. Sometimes they're afraid. And so the way you deal with that fear is help them see that actually the, the majority who's generally quite silent um, is with them. I don't think they feel it because, you know, the thing about conservatives are is that conservative folks tend to be um, home mm-hmm. with their families, with their churches, working on their businesses. They're not obsessively involved in politicking the local um, elected. And so the elected hear from folks um, who are pushing very progressive, radical agenda, and they start to get, it starts to become like an echo chamber. They don't, they don't realize that actually most people don't buy this stuff and you don't have to go down that road. So you kind of have to remind them that the majority is with sanity. You have to remind them the majority of us are still sane. We don't think that a man is a woman. We understand that when a man puts a dress on, that's just a dude in a dress. We get that. And what's that? Sorry. Doesn't that make you a science denier? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Right. (laughs) And so we know these things. And I think, I think if you sit down with them and you tell them that, and then if you do this, when they start to go down a bad road, you, you, you help people write letters. So you, you get a list of all their um, official emails. You get a list of their official office phone numbers. And you put them out to people you know. And you say, listen, you put them out on social media. Social media has made this way easier. But on social media, contact these folks. And you even write a paragraph. Essentially, um, call them and say this. Essentially, write them and say this. If you do those kinds of things, you provide people with tools. Because most people at home, that the stay-at-home mom's like, I don't want that for my kids. She'll call, but she's intimidated about what to say. Mm-hmm. So you help give her a, a short thing to say. Um, this happens all the time in politics. You show up. They will read those statements in open sessions in their meetings. And like at our county supervisor's meeting, uh, we, we stood outside with thank you signs right after they had done the right thing. We stood outside our protest of them became a thank you to them, right? We changed it. We got thank you signs and put them out. And we stood outside of there. But they had hours of, of emails to read publicly. So they just had to sit there and listen to citizen after citizen after citizen say, please, please re- renounce this health ordinance, right? Please don't do this to us. Um, and it made a very, a, a very big point to them. So I think some of that is just realizing how that, I don't want to say the game is played, but a little bit of how the sausage is made, right? These guys just need to know that there are people who have their back if they do the right thing. And there are people who are watching them um, if they do the wrong thing. They're elected representatives. You have no idea how much they fear the wrath of the public. They fear it. Mm. I can tell you, 12 years, anytime we got a lot of noise, those board members caved. I watched it happen over and over and over again. In fact, that's how I won every vote save the very last one when I was on the board for 12 years. If they were going to go a bad direction on some very important issue, I just filled the boardroom with people and they went the right direction. Mm. That's, that's literally all it took. Mm. Um, you know, it, they just um, need to know 
that people are watching them if they do the wrong thing and people will back them up if they do the right thing. They just need to know that. Um, so. Very good, Chad. Man, it's encouraging to see that uh, vision of how it can be done. And uh, we were involved in some of that here. We had emails sent to our county commissioners. We call them commissioners here and sheriff as well with COVID. And uh, this has really opened up people's eyes to see how the law of the lesser magistrate works, which is a whole other world we could get into, but that we really do need to take responsibility locally. I, I can hear maybe one more question to you before we sign off here, but I can hear kind of a an average uh, Baptist pastor saying, you know, that sounds good, but man, I mean, rallies, if I'm down doing a rally at, uh, in, in the center of town or try, even trying to send out emails to get one started, I'm going to get a lot of kickback from that kind of thing. And shouldn't I just be in my pastoral study? I got a sermon to prepare for Sunday. Um, if they have some hesitance about um, investing time and energy in some of these ways, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, I think I don't, I don't invest a huge amount of time in that. I have, I have built friendships with people who do. I stand up and speak. They, you know, the pastor ends up becoming a little bit more of a mouthpiece than having to be a workhorse. I have to study all week, too. I preach sermons. I take my study very seriously. I, you know, I'm running and helping run a missions organization that, that is sending missionaries to the, to the hardest places on earth. Um, we were training them to do that. Um, you know, I have I have a lot of those kinds of responsibilities, just like any pastor. I do pastoral visitation, you know, all the preaching. And I don't talk about any of this in that way when I'm doing my normal pastoral ministry in that regard. But I'm a citizen in my city. And so I, I bear some responsibility for what happens here. I'm not just a pastor. Um, but I'm a citizen here, too. And so I would tell them... Um, Build some friendships with people who are concerned and do things together. Don't get yourself eaten up by the political action that's out there. Don't allow it to, to own all your time. You don't have to do that. But you do have to, you do have to be willing to, um, you know, sort of band together with other folks and divvy out responsibilities so that you don't get um, eaten up by, by that in your, in your day. Um, and you can do that. There are lots of people out there trying to do the right thing right now, whether in the pro-life world or um, wherever, pro-family kind of people who are just aching for some voices. And they'll do all the work. I mean, on the Current Liberty Coalition, honestly, um, I feel like I, I get a lot of credit for being a voice. But it was a bunch of people who are average Joes, who work regular jobs, um, who did all the work. I, they just, they used my voice a bit, right? Um, and I, that was, I was happy to do that. Um, but they just, they just need to know that, um, that you will be, in, you'll be supporting them. That's it. And they'll jump in there and do most of the work. Yeah, um, just living in the world. It's, it's so encouraging to hear you talk about this because you know, the, you kind of have this idea of the pastor. He's out there and he kind of stays in the study and stays at the church and he doesn't usually go off premises too much. But then if he goes out into the world and he's in a conversation with somebody, and like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. You know, and that conversation takes a hard right turn or it just turns into this. But to be, uh, I think Spurgeon gets into this about don't be a strange bird among men. Like you need to, you need to, you need to be a citizen like other people are citizens. 
and even lead in that way because you're shepherding your congregation to be faithful citizens as well. You embody that so well, Chad. It's really compelling to see a guy who's, as people get to know you more, they're going to know that you're extremely serious about doctrine. We're going to have you out here for the Doctrine of God conference actually coming up in January. January, yeah. Next conference. And yet you embody this sense of uh, this is real love. It just means you just got to live in the world and you got to have these conversations. You got to have relationships. And the Bible relates to people that are in um, positions as governors and city officials and county commissioners. So it's been great to hear um, from you today. And you mentioned, uh, maybe this was before we started, but you mentioned how post-colonial theory is impacting the missions world. (laughs) And that is just too good for us not to talk about. So we're out of time now, but can you stay around for just a little bit? We have the armory for our fan members. They can get this um, uh, different content from people that we're talking with. Can you stick around and do maybe a little short 10-minute deal on how we should uh, operate given this post-colonial influence on missions? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Awesome. Great. All right. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today, and um, we'll see you next time.